0: welcome back to another edition of the volunteer state i'm blake topmire alongside the new sentinels adam sparks john adams remains on assignment working on that third book hopefully we will get him back next week but uh, adam and i are holding down the fort and we're looking ahead to the 2022 schedule today adam i was um was interacting with some some fans recently about the uh, the five most important games on Tennessee's schedule for this upcoming season. So I thought uh, bring you into the fold and we discuss this today. Of course, you know on some levels every game counts the same, right? If you want to get to a bowl game, you got to win six games, and if you want to improve on last season, you got to get to eight wins. But I think when you look at this schedule, um, obviously there are um, probably like five or six swing games on, on Tennessee's se- schedule this year that I think could define: is this an okay season, good season, really good season? And so we'll get into to some of that today.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, we're yeah, we're going to define these a little differently. Um, most important, I guess, is is uh, the tab you're putting on this Uh, most important can mean a lot of different things. You know, most important to Alabama or Georgia, means that you're, you're, you're five toughest because they're going to win every game uh, or could win every game. I think for Tennessee, it's it's a little different because I think there's, there's a lot of the fan base that looks at this year as, well, this is a nine and three type opportunity. The super, super optimistic are going to say you lose to Georgia and Alabama and you're 10 and two. And then I think maybe the more pessimistic are looking at it and say, just repeat last year and go seven and five and go to a decent bowl. And that's fine. So in between those two numbers, I guess is where I I mostly see what important means.
0: Right, and, and you'll have some fans out there that says, well, Alabama's the most important game every year. Your your longtime fans that they view that as as a traditional rivalry is Tennessee's biggest rivalry. Maybe you you put that at the top of the list. I doubt that will be at the top of either of our lists, but don't want to give too much away. And we're going to start at number five here. I'll let you bat lead off, throw out your number five, and then and I'll come back with with mine. So what do you have as Tennessee's fifth most important game this season?
1: This is going to be different than my other four, uh, the reasoning of it. But number five for me is Georgia. Is that a winnable game? I, I, I don't think so. I, I think this is more for uh, looking toward the future and sort of the tone of Georgia versus Tennessee, and probably even more so Georgia versus the Josh Hoppel version of Tennessee. UT scored early last year. They did put up some yards. They, they passed for 300 and something yards on on a good defense. Now, it ended up being a blowout loss, but similar to the Alabama game uh, for Tennessee, you could see that there's, there's hope for that offense to work in the future. If, if Tennessee gets more talent, they get more time in this offense, there's maybe a formula to challenge one of those teams. Maybe. Not probable, but maybe. And so I think the Georgia game this year is particularly important because Tennessee needs to show that they're coming, uh, that they can be a challenge in the future. And, and really, there's there's maybe a small window for that any chance of the changing of the guard to happen, because if we get in the future to 2025 or whatever it's going to be, when Texas and Oklahoma comes in, we may be in a pod system. And so uh, Georgia would not be somebody you wouldn't necessarily need to overtake for you know a division title or a pod title or whatever. So you got about three years here maybe if things uh, hold, hold out like we think they're going to, to try to catch up with Georgia and close that, that gap. And to do that, you have to cho- show that Josh Hoppel's offensive system at some point could be good enough to challenge Georgia's mostly conservative, mostly defensive system. And for that to happen, you've got to make this game close and you could maybe do that this year. So that makes it an important game, probably different than the others.
0: With Atlanta being, you know, a little over three hours away, depending on how traffic is on your drive from Knoxville to Atlanta. um, Obviously, Georgia and Tennessee can be involved in some of the same recruiting battles uh, from time to time. In fact, in the Jeremy Pruitt era, there was often times where Tennessee was the runner up in a prospects commitment to Georgia, and I think when Pruitt was here in particular, Georgia was seen as that team when it came to recruiting that Tennessee needed to get closer to if it was going to start bringing in more five and four star prospects. W- with Heupel here, do you still think like Georgia is that team that, that Tennessee has to prove itself against for recruiting? Has has that changed at all? Because they were like the the, the point of comparison for for Tennessee when Pruitt was here, of like. If you want to win some of these recruiting battles, you got to get closer to Georgia on the field.
1: uh somewhat I, I mean I, I I think that's uh, I, I think Auburn is the more realistic comparison in recruiting. I see Tennessee go up against Auburn a whole lot more in and win as many as they lose. Competing with Georgia in that way is plausible, but I think it's it's more sort of a lofty goal. It's more aspirational than anything. Keeping that game close, uh, I think, can affect that a little bit. I mean, I I think we're in a different era now. I think for the next three to five years, uh, we're going to probably redefine what recruiting is and uh, recruiting rivalries and that sort of thing, because NIL is going to have such a, uh, you know, put such a huge weight on recruiting. So I, I don't think we can necessarily judge it based on what past years has been. And really there's some context in there that everything that you hear around the sec is that Georgia is struggling or at least behind in the NIL battles that they were a little slow to adapt to the NIL era and to get their collective going. Tennessee was a little faster. And so um, whether that makes long-term inroads, I'm I'm not real sure, but uh, but winning that game or certainly, but uh, keeping that game close is going to have some effect because Tennessee cannot completely replenish its roster within the state of Tennessee. They can add a few pieces, but not completely replenish. Georgia, on the other hand, can go heavy in its home state and and win at a high level. Tennessee has to go into Georgia to get at least some players every year.
0: Yeah, it's a great point with, with NIL and just how much things have changed and, you know from the Pruitt era to the Hypel era, whereas you know before going out on the field and improving it maybe really helped you in recruiting. Now that still matters, but as you said, the NIL arms race and NIL collectives probably matter as much to recruiting as anything else. Okay, so for my number five, uh, I'm going a different direction here, and I'm going with South Carolina. Uh, as my fifth most important game for Tennessee comes on uh, on the road, November 19th. South Carolina, you know, I think I'd probably have this game even higher if not for last year's result lingering in my mind. I mean I'm thinking about like Tennessee just had their way with South Carolina last year. South Carolina couldn't stop them at all, particularly in the first half. But then you know South Carolina finished the year better than it started, got to seven wins. I mean, finished with the same record as Tennessee. And then you look at what they added in the off season. All the attention goes to Spencer Rattler, uh, the former Oklahoma quarterback who has transferred in and, and most likely, almost certainly will be South Carolina's starter, but they did pretty, pretty well in some other areas, um, with the, with the transfers as well. They had a really good running back from Wake Forest and Christian Beal Smith added a couple, uh, couple wide receivers that I think will play a lot for them. And then I uh, got the, uh, a tight end from Oklahoma along with Rattler and, and Austin Stoner. So I think South Carolina's on the way up. And um, I think it's important that Tennessee remains ahead of them in the East pecking order. So I got them there at, at number five.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll have South Carolina a little higher on my list in a minute. And I'll give you an, an additional reason when we get, when we get to that why I think it should be higher. I will say if we were doing this pod uh, from the perspective of South Carolina, I think Tennessee would be really high up the list because I think this is a, they, they, they finished well, Uh, you know, him and Josh Heupel were co Spurrier coaches of the year, which is that award that given to first year coaches. So they ended up with the same, uh, same record. If I remember both, both got seven wins, but Shane Beamer is transforming his, his roster in a way that you mentioned there. Uh, to, to try to push this thing forward. I think Josh Hoppel is more of we have uh, some of the right pieces in terms of players, but we have a system. We're going to win with a system. We won seven games with a system year one. We're going to win more next year, and we're going to steadily plug in pieces. I think Shane Beamer looked at it and said, my roster is not up to snuff, and I've got to make quick changes, quick transactions to upgrade my roster. So it, similar paths, but there's a little different, and I think because of that game, that 45 to 20 game last year, Shane Beamer is looking at it as a little more urgent that he try to close the gap with Tennessee. If not, Tennessee is going to take off and this is not going to be a competitive uh, game in future years. I've got another reason for South Carolina. I'll, I'll get to when, uh, uh, when I get to uh, further up the list, we both have LSU. I know at number four. Yes. Um, And that's at, at LSU. Um, that's not the, you know as well as I do that's not the easiest way to go down there and win, uh, especially if the, if the, the later in the in the day or the night it is. It's even tougher to win if, you, if it ends up being a night game. Um, but, but I think this is a more pivotal game this year than maybe it could have been in past years and obviously they don't they don't play but every few years. But there's more of an opportunity here because of the coaching change. Brian Kelly, albeit an awkward, start in his offseason to the job um he will bring in talent he's a very good coach even if it's awkward i think he's going to win at a high level there so you're getting him on the front end of that before he really fixes the roster how he wants it now they've got some really good pieces they've added into the transfer portal but but i think it's going to be you know sort of square peg and round hole a little bit probably in the first year at least part of the first year and um you know, I mean where this is on the schedule for Tennessee, it's a road game number 1. It's after a bye week and after that bye week, I think this is the fifth game. Tennessee could be 2 and 2, they could be 3 and 1, if everything falls right, they could be 4 and 0. Oh. And how they come into that game and how they leave that game is going to dictate whether this is an okay year or a really good year, and I think, so I think a lot of things could sort of turn in a good way or bad way with that LSU trip, and it being, again, a team that's in transition under Brian Kelly, you've got a chance, you've got a chance being the more established team that knows what you're doing, where the LSU team that you, you see is probably going to be similar to what Tennessee was a year ago, still trying to figure itself out.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll throw one more reason out there as, as to why this this game, I think, is is so important for Tennessee, and, and like you, I have LSU number four on my list, is you are talking about the schedule and kind of where this game falls. The other thing is, on the heels of playing LSU, is Alabama. Alabama, almost certainly going to be the preseason number one team, going to be the favorites to win the national championship. Sorry, Vols fans, but don't see Tennessee winning that one. And so, you know, I think it's always it's always good if you can avoid those back to back losses, you know, avoid going a, a couple weeks uh, where you're you're out of the win column. So I think this this falls in a, an important spot. You know, it falls between Florida and in Alabama, and and I know we'll we'll get get to Florida, I'm sure later in this this pod. But Florida more beatable than usual this year, but that's that's not a layup, and so you certainly want to avoid the the three game losing streak there. And so I think LSU's a a key game and and you touched on it with, you know, I think if you had asked me on December 1st, I would have said, yeah, I think, I think Tennessee has a really good chance of going down LSU and, and getting this one now after the, after the, the free agency, as the coaches like to call it of the, of the off season and seeing what LSU did in the portal. uh, I mean, they did very well in, in reloading their secondary. I mean, they were getting, they got two transfers from, from Arkansas that are starters. They, they got a transfer, uh, from from Oklahoma State, Jarek Bernard, who's, who's a really good cornerback. And then uh, they may have a new starting quarterback via the transfer portal, Jaden Daniels, former starter at, at Arizona State. They brought in Penn State's running back, and Noah Kane. I mean, you can go down the list. There are not many teams that did more through the portal um, than LSU did. Perhaps Ole Miss and Southern Cal is, is maybe the best comparison. So now I look at this game probably differently than I did, you know, four or five months ago, and I say, I think LSU – if you had to pick it now probably would be the slight favorite in this game. But I do, I do think it's, it's kind of a toss up and and one Tennessee can steal.
1: And, and kudos to Brian Kelly. I, I assume some of this is somewhat intentional that, that where, when he went into the portal, he really beefed up the secondary. Like you mentioned, that's the first thing that he uh, repaired. Uh, because this is not, this is not the SEC of like 18 years ago. He, he came in looked around and said, there's phenomenal quarterbacks in here. There's wide-open offenses. Um, Alabama can throw for 400 yards against you. Uh, and then Tennessee, a cross-divisional game, can throw up for for a lot of yards. And even when they run the ball, you're going to have to have probably five defensive backs on the field. And so the style that he's coming into in the SEC is where you have to have a really good secondary. And that's that's going to play against Tennessee a little bit. And you're also going to see uh, a, a lot of – on one hand, you're going to see teams that will see Tennessee's offense for the second time around, but then uh, in other ways, you're going to see new defensive coordinators into the conference that are going to approach Tennessee a little bit differently than the ones that did last year. So there's going to be a lot of cat and mouse here and, and more so uh, than, than any game will be LSU because you'll have new ingredients in the secondary. You'll have a talented secondary and, uh, and you'll have a new coaching staff that Tennessee doesn't have as much experience against and, and vice versa. All right, your number
0: three on the list. Who you got?
1: My number three was what you had earlier, which is South Carolina. Um, for all the reasons that we mentioned before, um, you know, it was it was a de- could have been a deceiving win for Tennessee in the first year. Not going to take anything away from them, but you know, they they got out quick and that game was over really quick. And I think by the end of the year, you saw the two teams were probably closer than what that score showed. Um, so there's an opportunity there. This is this can be a toss-up game some years. Um, I think, you know, historically, Tennessee should be ahead of South Carolina, obviously. But if you look at the last decade or so, these two programs are closer uh, than they normally would be. Uh, the additional reason that I mentioned before, why I have this one bumped up to number three, is where it comes on the schedule and the opportunity it could present for Tennessee. This is the 11th game of the season. The 12th game, obviously, is per usual, is Vanderbilt. If you count Vanderbilt as a win, and I think the last couple of years we can say that's probably a win. If you count Vanderbilt as a win, then South Carolina is sort of a a little bit of a turning point game um, in what bowl you're going to be in. So, you know, we've we've mentioned at the beginning of the pod, this could be a Tennessee could be a seven and five team again. I don't I don't see a six and six, but they could be a seven and five. They could be an eight and four, maybe. Um, and there's even some scenarios if everything falls just right and the offense is really good and the defense makes some slight improvements here and there, you could see an, a 9-3 a and three team. And the, the South Carolina game, that 11th game, is probably going to dictate whether this is a better than last year season or way better than last year or just sort of the same. And so it's going to determine really, I, I think if you go to a Florida bowl or not, I, I think that's what what it's coming down to last year, Tennessee was when one win away from getting to a Florida bowl. If they're one win better this year, I think they go to a Florida bowl. So last year they went to the music city bowl. If they finish seven and five, they probably go, to the Vegas bowl this year, which takes, uh, which is a new one for the sec in the rotation. They could go back to the music city. Maybe they could drop to the Liberty just to go somewhere different. You're going to see one of those, you know, middle of the road sec bowls, like you did last year, the seven and five team go to the music city. If Tennessee is eight and four, they probably go to the outback or the Gator. So a Florida bowl, if they were eight and four last year, they probably would have gone to the outback outback wants them. If you can get all the way to nine and three, then you're talking more about possibly the Citrus Bowl, which is just one step below the uh, the, the near six bowls in the national in the uh, college football playoff. So the South Carolina game, if this plays out like we think it might, South Carolina game is probably going to determine whether you're in an OK bowl or a Florida bowl one way or another. And so I think that's why on the schedule we'll look at this when we get to that game and say, well, this is gonna determine whether Tennessee season is about the same or a step forward. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. And I think last year Tennessee fans were were happy with any bowl game given the the preseason projections and the off season turmoil and, and the whole bit. Now, as you said, I think I think the next step is is a Florida bowl and, and like you said, this this could be a, a pivotal game against South Carolina and determining whether they get to that Florida bowl or or have to, to have to stay closer to, to home or go out to to Las Vegas. All right, my number three. I'm going with uh road game at Pitt early in the season there, week two. You know, Tennessee lost in a close one against Pittsburgh last year. They were still starting. Joe Milton went to Hendon Hooker later in that game. And of course Pitt had really talented quarterback, Kenny Pickett, who was in some of the Heisman conversation as as the season unfolded. Well, Kenny Pickett's gone now, and I think there's the assumption that the script is going to flip here. But you look at it, and I think Pitt, at least in like SEC territory, is probably being um, overlooked a little much. Yes, they lost Kenny Pickett, but they're still going to be really solid on defense. Uh, they have one of the best wide receivers in the country, returning in, in Jordan Addison, and and even though they lost Kenny Pickett, they brought in Southern Cal transfer and Keaton Slovis. Now, we don't know that he's Kenny Pickett. To this point in his career, he hasn't been, but it's you know, it's not like they just got a bunch of scrubs there at the quarterback position. So um, I, I think this is a, a key one because if, if you win this one, you're going into that Florida game undefeated because Tennessee's not losing to Ball State or Akron not happening. I know you could say, well, Georgia State, but Jeremy Pruitt's not the coach anymore, and, and Akron is, well, not Georgia State, and they're not Army either, so they're not losing those games. Um, Pittsburgh is the path to a 3-0 start going into that, that Florida game undefeated, and, and and the other thing, I know this ESPN-FBI, is their, their football power index is a pretty stupid ranking system. It had it had Auburn as number 10 in the nation, and I think Auburn is probably going to be one of the worst teams in the SEC this year. I don't understand how they come up with some of these rankings, but they did have Pittsburgh at number nine. So even though I just belittled their ranking system and said it's stupid, I'll use that to back up my point that Pittsburgh is not going to just fall off a cliff because Kenny Pickett is gone.
1: Yeah, Pitt will still be, uh, it's a defensive-minded coaching staff, a defensive-minded program, so they're going to be solid on defense. Slovis started at USC, so it's not like they're bringing a guy that's never played. The Boletnikoff winner in Addison, um, their other receiver that they got, uh, I forget his name, but he's from Akron, which is which is kind of funny because Tennessee's playing Akron. Uh, he's a, he's close to a 1,000-yard receiver at Akron. They're going to have at least two really good receivers, probably more than that. A quarterback that is is probably pretty good and in and all that matches up weirdly for uh for tennessee awkwardly for tennessee because tennessee has you know they have issues on their past defense now that may change a little bit and if they can add somebody in in this offseason through the transfer portal or elsewhere but they have questions at both corners really their past defense was the worst in the sec last year so maybe that it's fixed it's just hard to believe that it's going to get fixed that early in the season. So much of what we thought last year was you kind of pencil in, well, Pitt's pretty good, but Tennessee will probably still beat Pitt. Well, it's it's a similar setup this year, so you can't count, count that as a win. You mentioned that they're going to be talented. ESPN thinks so, Whether that's, uh, whether that's accurate or not. So much of the second year could be dictated by what happens in this game. You know, Tennessee fans, as all passionate fan bases, can overreact, but they can do it both ways. If Tennessee is three and going into Florida, there's going to be a you know this feel that this is better than last year because the quarterback is better than what the one that went up against Pitt last year. Last year Pitt was a loss at home. Now it, it's a it's a win on the road. So this team is automatically already better than last year. And Josh Hopple is moving things forward. If you go up there and lose that game, uh, Tennessee could be a better team and still lose that game. But if you lose that game, suddenly the narrative is eh this is no better. This is the Tennessee was fine in year one under Hopple, but it's spinning its tires now. and It's not necessarily better in year two. It's a sophomore slump. It's all these narratives that could come out of that. So this is, this is a pretty pivotal game because of the opponent and where it is on the schedule. And that, and so Pitt is my Pitt is my number two. It's your number three. It's my number two. Yeah. I think
0: if you change the name of the, on the front of the Jersey and t- I realize Pitt won a national championship there in 1976 with with Johnny Majors. But you know, if you're thinking through the lens of like the last 30, 40 years, um, you're probably not thinking of of Pitt maybe as as a power, at least if you live in SEC land. But if you if you took Pitt off the front of that jersey and um, and say you put like Wisconsin or a Michigan or something on the front of that jersey, I think a lot of Tennessee fans and it's same team, but just with a different name on the front of the jersey, they'd be like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be a brutal game on the road. You know, but I think because it's Pitt, it's being chalked up maybe in in the win column, particularly when you add in that Kenny Pickett departs. But as we've discussed, when you look at everything that Pitt brings back, I think it's anything but uh, a gimme game for Tennessee. So, uh, so Pitt's here, number two, uh, number two on my list is Kentucky. Um, and, and I know if you look at this series, you think, well, Tennessee's got this in, in hand. Obviously this, this rivalry is very one sided in, in Tennessee's favor, but in the last five years, it has felt like it has been evening out. Uh, Tennessee's three and two against Kentucky in the last five years. Of course, won a close one uh, last year. Also won a close one in two thousand nineteen. So it just it feels like these teams are are very very close right now. These programs are. Obviously, Mark Stoops has been at Kentucky for a long time, done a great job with that program. And, and we're seeing now in recruiting, particularly for the, in the city of Nashville, uh, I think you see Kentucky and Tennessee go head-to-head a lot. Kentucky's won some of those battles in, in recent years in, in getting prospects out of Tennessee. And, and with this being a division game, much like South Carolina, I think it's important for Tennessee to remain ahead of Kentucky in the East pecking order. And, you know, Kentucky returns as starting quarterback and, and Will Levis. I know they're not getting maybe a lot of chatter in terms of, uh, you know, powers in the SEC this year, but Kentucky won 10 games last year and, and Kentucky often flies under the radar. And just as close as that game was last year, could have gone the other direction. Being a division foe, I think this is a huge one on Tennessee's schedule. You got to remain ahead of Kentucky in the in the East pecking order.
1: Yeah, the the uh, they're absent from my list completely. Um, and uh, initially they were on my list, but I'm gonna my uh, my roots of growing up in the state has probably added a little bit of bias that when I look at Kentucky's football program, I say eh, it's they have to be really up and Tennessee has to be really down for Kentucky to win that game. I, and I know in past years that, that that's, that's been a game that Kentucky has won, but especially in Neeland, um, my thought is Tennessee has to be in a state of dysfunction to lose that game. And that's not a knock on Kentucky and Stoops. If you look at those programs over the past few years, uh, in, in, in a lot of that time, they're not even programs. Kentucky is ahead and Stoops has done a phenomenal job there and Kentucky for their season. They, they sometimes have a weak schedule. Usually have a week non conference schedule, but um, I mean, they, they were, they were really good last year. I mean, that was a phenomenal win, pretty pivotal win for Josh Hoppel in Tennessee last year. Um, it did look like to me last year, that the pace that Tennessee wants to play is what that game ended up being. And as long as that – as long as Josh Heupel's offense can dictate the pace in that type of game, especially at home, I like Tennessee's chances pretty well. Um, but Tennessee, I think for to lose in Neyland Stadium to Kentucky, there has to be something internally wrong with Tennessee's program – and at this point in in Hopple's tenure, I, j- I just don't see that happening. So I think it'd probably be a close game, probably a really good game. But but I I just I almost chalk that one up as a win more so than a than I would others, just because of the feel that it's Tennessee beats Kentucky.
0: Yeah, I think if we had John on this podcast this week, he'd probably agree with you for a lot of the same reasons. And and I think the the phrase you said, Tennessee has to be in in a period of dysfunction to lose to Kentucky. And if you look at this thing historically. You know that's been true. The the times they've lost to Kentucky here going back, uh, you know, if you just start from 1985 on, Tennessee's only lost to Kentucky three times. It, it they had it, you know, and once in the Derek Dooley era, when the writing was on the wall, even though Dooley would last in another season, that this thing's not going to work. They lost to Kentucky while Kentucky was playing a wide receiver at quarterback. Um, they lost to Kentucky during the the swan song for Butch Jones amid a miserable season, and then they. They, lost a, they got blown out by Kentucky in, in what was sort of the beginning of the end for Jeremy Pruitt. So yeah, I mean, when Tennessee loses to Kentucky, it's amid really bad seasons. We're not. We're thinking this is going to be a good season for Tennessee. So for all those reasons, I, I get it. Um, I'm more just looking at things from the momentum of Kentucky's program and, and where I see these two programs in, in actuality and less in terms of history. Alright. Number one been following along here, you know what team is is left and you probably know what it is. So Adam, I'm gonna let you reveal a probably not very shocking number one for
1: each of us. All right. So yeah, number one, of course, is Florida. You know, for all the reasons that it's usually uh number one or it can be, this is still a rivalry. It it's hanging on for dear life, it seems, uh on Tennessee side, but this is still a rivalry. You know, it's early in the schedule, as it always is. And so there's an opportunity to sort of really get a a big win for Josh Hopple in his tenure. There's got to be some believability that this, this program is going forward and to beat Florida would probably as be as much of a sign of that as anything. Um, You know, Tennessee has lost, I think it's 16 of the last 17. Um, That's got to turn at some point, maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then this isn't going to be on the list in future years. Um, But as, as much as anything, is Billy Napier is coming in as Florida's coach. Florida does not change coaches as much as Tennessee does, but when they change, there's an opportunity there. Billy Napier, especially early in the season is going to have some hiccups, you know, new spots on the roster. He's got to replenish the roster a little bit. There's going to be a change of system. There's just going to be some bumps in the road and the time to, to get those teams is, is early in the season. Again, Pitt saw that with Tennessee last year. That's when you want to get them. This is when Tennessee wants to get uh, get Florida. I'll say this. Regardless of how this game goes, I don't think this game is number one on our list next year. I don't think it can be. Because either Tennessee wins this game and things sort of change in this series a little bit. It's still a very important game, but if Tennessee wins this game it doesn't have the same uh, prestige or opportunity next year because it it starts to look a little more of an even matchup. Once you kind of get that monkey off your back, if you're Tennessee. If Tennessee loses this game, well, this is another Florida coach that's coming in and has Tennessee's number. And so there's going to be less believability next year that Tennessee can win this game. So it's number one this year for all the obvious reasons. I don't think it's number one next year. Tennessee needs to make sure they win this game uh, to bump it off of number one.
0: Yeah. And and for me, you know, as you are saying, this, this is a, this is still a rivalry in name in, in terms of the way the series has gone. It's hanging on by a thread. And, and if you notice Alabama does not appear on either of our, 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 our top five games lists, And, and Georgia's is uh, not on, on my list. It's, it's number five on, on your list. So if you don't want Florida to be viewed as like just a, um, you know, Tennessee can't beat them. If you if you don't want to be viewed in the, the lens that, that Alabama is now viewed as in, in that rivalry that's you know kind of a rivalry just for historical sake, then you gotta start beating them sometimes. And this is as good of an opportunity as Tennessee I think has had in, in a while. Florida finished down last year, they fired Dan Mullen. As you said, they bring in Billy Napier. Uh, who's done some good things, but I think it's going to take him longer with the roster situation he stepped into. It's going to take him longer than it's going to take Brian Kelly at LSU. This is a prime opportunity. And the other thing is, we've talked about Tennessee maybe at the the ceiling, and this is pretty lofty, but maybe the ceiling for them this year is getting to the Sugar Bowl. Um, Maybe more realistic as a high-end goal for Tennessee is getting to the Citrus Bowl. If you want to have a chance... Of, of achieving those goals knowing that Alabama and, and Georgia are lurking on your schedule have to beat Florida. Um, and and if you beat Florida and you take care of business against Kentucky and South Carolina, you can get up to second in the east even without beating Georgia and so you've moved up a rung. Um, you're making strides you're, you're gaining on Georgia uh, in in the east if you want to look at it that way so, it's not just the rivalry, but I think when you throw in the fact that this rivalry is sort of hanging by a thread, and if you want that to be a rivalry again, anywhere close to what it was in its heyday, you've got to start beating them sometimes. And, and this is a an good opportunity, and I think it's the clear most important game for Tennessee.
1: This yeah, year. And, and, and let's look at it this way I think that we're maybe coming to the end of this rivalry. This rivalry started in the Spurrier Fulmer era in the early to mid 90s, and If Texas and Oklahoma change up things to where we're in a pod system here in, what, three years or whatever, there's a pretty decent chance that Tennessee and Florida are not playing every year. And so it couldn't just naturally end. And and you see this all through college football is that when two teams are, are rivals and they play every year, and this is always a big matchup, and then the rivalry ends because somebody goes to a different division or a different conference or whatever, and they're not on the schedule every year, whatever happened at the end of that rivalry tends to change the tenor of it a little bit. So Josh Hoppel's going into year two. Billy Napier's going into year one. However, these two coaches match up in their head-to-heads this year, 2023, 2024, let's say, over these next three years, that's going to change the memory of people uh, in, in how they look at this rivalry. If Tennessee wins two of the next three, if they win three in a row or something like that, and Josh Hopple has, has Bill, uh, Billy Napier's number, then you're suddenly, Tennessee fans are going to look back at this and say, well, you know, we got the last laugh in that rivalry, and then it ended, and you can feel good about it. If Billy Napier, you know, keeps it going how it's going, then it's going to have a terrible taste in the mouth of Tennessee fans because they never quite get anywhere close to catching up with Florida. And they could say that the rival is a team that usually beat them. Um, Either way, I think this is, if the schedule changes in ways that it it could here in a few years, when Oklahoma and Texas get in, the Florida rivalry is going to be more like the Auburn rivalry is now, which is something that was here years and decades ago, but is, is no longer.
0: All right. There's our top five list for most important games for Tennessee this year. If you disagree with us, you can reach out and let us know either way. We hope you are back with us here next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.